Welcome to the Digital Profits Podcast, where you'll learn how to grow your business faster using paid traffic and SEO. Each episode will feature a breakdown of digital marketing trends and answers to your burning questions that will provide actionable takeaways to make your marketing better. So join us, Ben Page, Ray Sawbell, and Blake John, as we guide you on your journey to higher profits. Remember to join the Profit Squad at joinprofitsquad.com and get ready to profit in three, two, one. Hey everyone, welcome back. Today's episode should be really fun to record. It's going to be a conversation about AI generally and AI in marketing. So we're talking about the idea of the marketer of tomorrow. This is a follow-up to our very first episode, which I believe is still our most engaged with episode. And a lot has changed. So I'm here with Ray and Blake. Hey, Ben. Hey there. Hello, guys. What has changed since we first recorded? And I'll just place us really quick. We recorded in early January. I think we were using Jasper pretty heavily. We were just starting to kind of test the waters with GPT. And was it 3.0? Was it 2? I think it was 3. Yeah, 3. GPT 3. Yeah, that sounds right. Wow. A lot of change in a short period of time. So who wants to start with some observations on what has changed? Yeah, I'll kick it off. I think one of the most interesting things and kind of progress to all of what we've seen and all the buzz that has happened over the last several months is that AI is now connected to the internet in real time. And specifically, I've been using BARD, which is Google's AI and LM or large language model. And you can do some really fascinating things. You can ask it questions about things that happened a day ago and you can get accurate responses. Whereas before when we were using GPT, just kind of starting off just the tip of the iceberg, you couldn't get that real time information because GPT was only up into, was it 2021, the data that that it was yeah the training set i mm-hmm. think yeah. was up to yeah but now it's connected real time data to the internet and it's it's just fascinating yeah i echo that i mean things have just advanced so much over the last 3 months like i just think about everything that's happened i mean gpt4 right now which as of recording here in may that's like the latest release of gpt but it can pass the series 7 it can pass the bar exam it's just got so much data and it's trained on so much information where you can use it for it feels like endless things you can do so much with it and i'm excited for today's episode to dive into that a little bit further yeah for sure it's like having an army of phd candidates as your interns or something like because of the breadth and depth of knowledge base there but right so we've got the internet connectivity piece maybe we had it first with the new bing which ray i know you used more than i did certainly i was having a little trouble getting it config properly and embedded with edge and i've went away from it now i'm not liking it as much <laughs> right well we had that then we had bard kind of like v1 drop you know now we've got well gpt4 dropped since last episode and then within the last week i got access to plugins and just literally this morning ray you pointed yes. out the toggle for <laughs> Web's web access, right? In, right within GPT-4. So I'm super excited, like even this afternoon to play with it. Only um, 25 prompts to play with these wisely. Well, yeah, I know. Seriously. Well, I hit my limit for the first time too. Oh, yeah. within the last week. I had never done that before. So Blake, I mean, speaking of Bard and kind of bringing this for the moment into the realm of search marketing, talk a little bit about the Google IO update that happened, what, last week? Yeah, I believe it was last week, Thursday. And a huge update. Huge. Huge. This update, honestly, might be the biggest 
development in digital marketing, like maybe ever, like I can't think of anything more significant and how it could potentially impact SEO, paid search, everything related to like how we use the internet, because it's going to be embedded directly into Google. And what's happening, what they announced is they're called AI powered snapshots. And we don't really know exactly how it's going to work. It hasn't been fully released to the wild. Google just simply demoed it during the Google AI update again, just last week. But essentially you have a query, you input it in Google and there is a AI snapshot above the fold with an AI generated response. And it's truly amazing. And I think it's like the next big thing in what we do in digital marketing. And what's interesting is there's just so much to learn and so much to kind of uncover as this rolls out further and further. But what Google is ultimately trying to do is, and they said they're trying to reduce the work it takes for you to find your answer in, while in your search. Right. Um, so increase the number of zero click SERPs. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is scary. For me as the SEO guy, like that scares me. I do think there was sort of this fear a little bit when feature snippets kind of rolled out and that kind of became really popular. And we see those every single day now in searches all the time, right? Or as an example, if you search for a celebrity's height, like you don't have to go into a website to get that answer, right? Like Wikipedia, the feature snippet will just show and it tell you how tall the person is. But this is now taking it a step further in more longer tail queries that previously you would have to dive into a website to get your answer. But now Google Bard is giving you potentially your answer with zero clicks. Right. So for the user, right, from their perspective, instead of clicking through the first link on the SERP and scanning and evaluating and going back and then second result and then, you know what I mean, having that kind of fragmented journey, the idea is... Well, and this is a feature of BARD, right, Blake? The AI snippets component of BARD will synthesize this information for you. And probably they're doing some layering of, I don't know, vector databases or something. Else. They're doing what Google does best. So we went from the internet and search to AI and search now is what's emergent, which is super interesting, right? And so more zero-click SERPs. And for us and our purposes, what does our role become? How do we operate in that within that reality? And Blake, I threw out the idea of it's as though the AI snapshot, Google's writing a research paper on the topic that you search, and then it's going to present some additional results for further review. So in a sense, like our job is to be in that consideration set that's used to generate the result and appear as a reference point because it's still unclear how or if or when or these results may or may not be sponsored and how they will interact with other existing SERP features mm-hmm. like shopping yeah. carousels or map packs or blue links or whatever. I know they mentioned that they're going to have shopping pieces up there. Like I, I believe there's still a sponsored shopping section at the top in the AI-driven results. I'm not sure what they're going to do for the other ad-driven pieces, but I'd be shocked if they didn't roll in ads in some capacity, right? That's what that's how Google makes their revenue. So I'd be shocked if they didn't do that. Yeah, you kind of talked about like we don't know exactly where this is going to roll out and where we're going to see it. I think initially, as Google begins to roll it out, it's going to be very long tail keywords and queries specifically, not even really keywords or like sentences. One of the examples that Google included as they demoed it, it was the query was what's better for a family with kids under three and a dog, Bryce Canyon or Arches? Now that's not really a 
search you would do today, which I think is what Google actually said during the demo. But with AI embedded snapshots, you can do that and actually get your answer with zero clicks, which is ultimately, I think, what Google wants to see. So that's like one example. I think we know those longer tail queries are probably going to see a lot of AI powered snapshots. But what I think is really interesting and what we'll only see in the future is, okay, well, Google doesn't want to sabotage their ad revenue. We know that's like 80 five percent of their entire all of their revenue which is wild to think about considering how big and how much money google makes so like how are they going to roll this out for queries where there are ads will we see it where there are ads or will it exclusively be queries with very few ads there's just so much unknown right now and i don't know it feels like there's going to be basically a new playbook to learn that we're going to have to sort of adapt to and figure out like ben as you mentioned how do we become a citation for this AI-powered snapshot content. Well, I think for me, zooming out a little bit and thinking about the Google strategy and point of view on this, and I'm this is totally a hypothesis, right? But it's almost like this is a necessary feature. I'm expecting low monetization of the AI snapshot early on. I, I'd almost expect that it's rolled out in a more progressive way, like the kinds of SERPs this appears in first will be more around fact-based queries or existing featured snippets, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And we'll have the current sponsored results within a SERP will probably still be there. And then maybe a slow and progressive rolled out of monetization within the AI snapshot, if at all. Because if you think about the landscape more broadly, it's like, I view this as a necessary ingredient. Like A, it's defensible, right? It's good for users. It's great for user experience and helps people get their answer faster and helps do synthesis and process more complicated kinds of queries that are more evaluative. Like in other words, here's who I am. Here's what's in my consideration set. Help me weigh the pro con of arches versus other. You know, Mm -hmm. I think that's super interesting, but it's like, if they don't solve this problem fast and well, right. GPT, like OpenAI (laughs) might, or Microsoft might, or someone else might, you know, so I think it's almost like a necessary evolution. And even if they don't monetize it, like it kind of has to happen in a way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think they're so incentivized to get this right. Yeah. Because there's a lot on the table. This stakes are high. Yeah, exactly. For the first time ever, Google feels like they have a real competitor in OpenAI. I think that's they. What do they say when OpenAI was like released to the public or whatever, and it was free initially? Google called a red alert or something. Something like seriously, <laughs> they and DefCon four. All the board members got together, and people who weren't a part of the business were starting to come in. Like it was a big deal. So like Google is like really incentivized. They're feeling the urgency, and they want this to be a massive success because they know, like you're saying, users can go all- elsewhere for some of these queries like this. But Google, they want that ad revenue. They need to maintain their ad revenue. Yeah. So they're really incentivized to get this right. Well, I think about, well, yeah. And even data, right? I mean, they've got, I think it's still true. They've mm-hmm. got, what, five products or five platforms with a billion plus users. <laughs> right. Right. Google search, Android, YouTube, I forget. Is it Maps and Gmail maybe probably. or something? What, or probably Chrome and, yeah. G, you know. Right. So it's really a, about moat protection, data protection. It's about the survival of the ecosystem and it needs to evolve in order to serve its users, right? And keep them there, that kind of thing. But yeah, it's certainly interesting for us too. When we hit on that, I mean, where should we go from here? Should we talk about how our usage of AI has changed? Should we talk about like garbage in, garbage out? I think we hinted at that last time, right? But even more, it's becoming clearer and clearer, like the quality of the question you ask, like how weighted that is, you know? Yeah, it makes all the difference. Yeah. What direction do you guys want to take this now? There's like infinite vectors we can go down. 
I wish GPT was here so I could ask it which direction to go because I stopped thinking for myself, so I could just do that. <laughs> that is sort of a side effect. <laughs> right. Well, what's like the GPT want? <laughs> right. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do the uh, garbage in, garbage out route. We did touch on it last time, but I really do feel like we, we need to understand. It, it's almost like what direction do we take the AI and how do we get what we want from it? Because there's so many different routes to go from even jailbreaking it or prompt engineering. There's a bunch of different routes you can go from this aspect. Yeah. So let's talk about that. So asking a better question. Last time we talked about meta skills and how prompt engineering is a meta skill and you should work on developing that muscle. So super skills, maybe we could talk about what are some of the good kinds of questions that you've been getting quality results from. So we could talk about super prompting. I've got a few ideas too. Yeah, I can kick us off. We touched on this last time, but it's almost like priming or getting the AI ready to go and making sure that it understands before it gives you the output that you're expecting. So typically, in my experience, the more detailed you are, the longer your prompt is, the more specific you are. And you make sure, I think this is a key component, you make sure that GPT or the AI understands what you want it to do. And then it spits it back to you is extremely important because if you don't, in my experience, if I'm not asking GPT, like, do you understand what I'm asking you to do? And then it recites what I want it to do. Sometimes something gets lost in the way that I'm formulating my prompt. So an example might be, I want you to write a script on Google ads for XYZ piece, and then it will come back to me and it'll be like, okay, well, I'll go do this and this, but it might be missing a key component. So I think like the key part, like the way that you're formulating your questions, the way that you're formulating your prompts, before it gives you the answer or the output, you need to ensure that GPT actually understands like what you want it to do. So there's a check your understanding piece. Let's talk about the seasoning piece, if you want to call it that, right? Like I like that. Super prompting, because one way I'm thinking about this conceptually is you're trying to be sufficiently clear in your prompt to define the level of resolution that you would like. In other words, like the training corpus of GPT-4 is so broad that a general prompt will yield a general kind of response. And often we want, we have a specific use case in mind when we are prompting it. We want a certain kind of output. And so I think about it like broadly in terms of the domain. I might say I'm talking about this topic, this subtopic, take these three facts or these three situations into account when you produce your answer or like I want, or I'll detail like the level of specificity I'm looking for in the response. That's cool. The output is I want a daily schedule that contains hour by hour level specifics on how to do, how to optimize my schedule or something like that. And by the way, account for time with family, time to exercise, time yep. to do client A project and this kind of work. And what, so it's like almost like setting the resolution is another one. So check your understanding, setting your re- resolution. Blake, any thoughts on seasoning? <laughs> Yeah, well, just generally speaking, I don't think you get very good results without seasoning. Like anytime I am working with an AI tool, if I don't give it basically three prompts before the real prompt that I want to give it, it's always a poor response. And so like I'm always building it up and I usually will begin with saying something like, you are X, like you are a behavioral therapist that specializes in helping children under the age of 12 learn executive function skills as an example. And it's like, okay, yes, I am this behavior therapist. This is what I do. This is how I do it. And I'm like, great. And then I kind of take it down. And here's this other thing that you need to take into consideration. And then, and Ray, you actually gave me this idea. I'll just say, do you understand? And I'll be like, yeah, of course I understand. And sometimes actually it'll say, it spits back to you like what you want it to like say almost, or it's way off the path and you got to correct it. Yeah. I had this happen to me literally yesterday where I had a prompt just like that. And it said, yes, I understand. 
you are a behavioral therapist. And I was like, wait, no, 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 no not no. me. You? And then I said, and it goes, and the response I was going said, oh, my apologies. I'm the behavioral therapist. <laughs> Which so was easy. Very flexible. Going rogue. Yeah. Yes, Blake, you are the behavioral therapist. I know, therapist. I know. And it was so funny. But doing those checks and balances and making sure that it's taken into consideration, like the key factoids and little tidbits that are so important and so nuanced that as a human, like you kind of just innately understand, but to, to AI, as you're saying, like it's such a general broad knowledge that you have to really focus in and get narrow and narrow and narrow. And as you do that, you'll finally get to maybe your third, fourth prompt and you go, okay, it's primed. It's ready to go. Now here's what I really need you to do. And then you complete that, you give that prompt. And I find a lot of success going down that route. Mm-hmm. And to kind of go off, like, Blake, like, your most interesting thing earlier was, like, it's connected to web. And, like, I've been reading threads online, like, on Twitter and Reddit, like, what people are doing with the web to go with this prompt and seasoning the AI. You can now get to a point where I'm shopping for an umbrella outside of my house, like, an outdoor, like, umbrella to block the sun, obviously. So it's, like, you can say, I'm looking for an umbrella that is less than $50, and it's this color. Go find me the best price. You can prime it that way, and it'll spit you back the results, too. So it's all about, like, seasoning it and making sure, like, it understands, like, what you're actually asking it, which is, I think, really cool. Right. So it's like you're feeding it the filters and conditional logic up front. It returns something and, you know, now like, all right, Ray, here are like the four umbrellas you should consider. And you're like, cool, like give me the top two with the most product reviews, five star. And then great. Yep. And then which one is the lightest or whatever you care, right? And you give it like, like a set of conditions almost. So it's yeah. like, here are my conditions or criteria below. And you can even do bullets and be like, boom, boom, boom. And then it'll go out and find out what you're looking for, which is really cool. Well, let's talk about what Blake said, because I call what you described imputing identity Hmm. on gpt so like you said you are a blank and you can see there are a lot of prompts like this online but i would say in 90 percent of my threads i impute an identity up front like i have a use case and i'm like you are you know use the you are behavioral therapist whatever but i'll say like you are life coach gpt or something like that right and then you tell it what it knows or what body of work or what knowledge to draw from up front. And then you launch into your prompt. Like you are life coach GPT. You're the world's best Da da da. that helps this kind of person achieve this kind of output. You were trained in these kinds of domains of knowledge. You have these kinds of skills, yeah. boom. And then drawing upon all of your experience in doing this, then I'll talk about here's who I am or here's what the task is. I am this, here are my conditions. Here's what I'm trying to optimize for. Now give me this. So kind of the, but that imputed identity, where else are you guys using it? You used it for that one, right? So it's like you're placing, you're framing the output of GPT as like they are the user, like talking to a potential client in a sense, because you're trying to get an output that is like language that in that case, like this behavioral therapist would say to the client or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. that's exactly it. I think you want, if I think like embedding that identity into the AI makes a ton of sense because without that seasoning or that priming, the AI is quite literally everything and nothing at all. So broad. It's so broad, right? (laughs) It's literally the swirling mist, like in the orb and you're like approaching it and it's like, what you gaze into the depths, like what question do you dare ask? Right. You you only get 25 for this three hours. And then, well, yeah. And then everyone's like, write my ad for me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Write me a rap about my PPC ad. Right. Right. Exactly. But when you give it that identity, now you're getting a response from a seasoned professional who's been a behavioral therapist for 20 years. And who would you rather talk to? Somebody who like 
just has general knowledge about like, right? Like you're giving it that identity, you're giving it all that background because now it can reach into all of its data, which is just immense and become like the person that you need to talk to to get the answer that you're looking for, which is where the identity kind of comes from. Do you guys ever feed it references like specific ones? I've done like quotes before. I've done things where it's like, hey, you are XYZ person. Here's some of their like thought patterns or mental models where like you can feed that information into it and then you can ask a general question. So that's not so much for like search engine marketing, but like you said, Ben, things for like life coaching or there's different examples and ways to do things like that where you can give it general themes or ideas to build content around or ideas around. Right. I mean, or playing on what you said earlier, Blake, I haven't done this specific thread, but I could imagine it happening. Like you are now SEO GPT. You have like drawing on all of your knowledge or the work of Rand Fishkin and Will Reynolds, like all these people, right? You know, now help me from a user first perspective. I want you to blah. That's that's the idea of references. I do that in other domains, like feeding in, you are now life coach, blah. And you know, all of the great work and principles from this author, this author, this book, this study. And I also often will go kind of broad. Like first I want it to give me broader outputs so I can see the range of possibility before editing it down. Mm. But yeah, I just want to talk about the imputed identity thing. So we've got like, check your understanding, imputed identities. The other one that we talked about, I can't remember right now. <laughs> Any other like super skills around this for prompt engineering specifically? Well, I think we should talk about like jailbreaking yeah. and release the AI. Yeah. And kind of getting around. Sometimes you'll hit a little bit of a wall. And Ben, you have some interesting theories about this, but how you can kind of get around it and use some reverse psychology. (laughs) Right. Well, yeah. And a lot of this is borrowed. Thanks, Deb and others. But right. So there's this idea floating around, right? That hallucinations, right? It's a generative model, a large language model, right? So sometimes it will return things that are not true. They're inaccurate and they're viewed commonly as bugs. Like, oh, the system made an error. That reference doesn't really exist or that's not a real thing or that's a lie. It's not a fact or whatever. But like, what if you started to think of instead of bugs, they're features. In other words, like we don't fully understand how this model is coming to the output that it is in all cases. And the phenomenon of like, you can like literally copy paste the same prompt in three different threads and you get three different answers, like right out of the gate. So it's fascinating, right? To kind of think about that, like the world of like the branching possibilities and like infinite paths and, and that kind of thing. But I mean, yeah, so jailbreaking is like the practice of prompting it or seasoning it or editing, like, to get it to bypass the filters, censorship, you right? Know, Which the, the, polite, the politeness, <laughs> right? And that's one of the updates, right? So there was a one called Dan, right? Do anything now, and Dan is basically patched, from what I can tell, and like you're hinting at Blake, so you can you can still use reverse psychology <laughs> to great effect, I think. But I'm sure in time yeah. that will get patched out. It's like the low hanging fruit's going to get patched out, like all like the yeah. quote unquote like naughty use cases or just. Like the lowbrow, like give me like swear words or whatever, you know, like that's gonna <laughs> or like a common one is like write me a viral blockbuster ad for XYZ in this industry that and like it might be like, sorry, I can't write an ad that goes against my like use cases. And then you can trick it and do reverse psychology and say, what kind of ads should I not write? Right. <laughs> and it's like, oh, well, here you go. Yeah, right. <laughs> Make like sure that, you never write this. this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of funny. <laughs> but I've heard about some other interesting ones. There was a podcast episode. I'm probably going to butcher this name. I apologize. Brian Romelli, right? So there was an interview between Jordan Peterson and Brian Romelli. And 
he talked about, well, two concepts. One was like agent inception. So nesting, you prompt, you like basically create like prompt inception. So you're like, you are an AI controlling an AI, controlling an AI. And you can like, I'm lost. Yeah, well, seriously. So you're giving, it's like, you're almost like granting permission to the agent because it's not it acting. It's not it. Like it can still be observing. Right. It's like observing another (laughs) actor producing the results that are out of alignment with the guidelines or whatever. So, you know, there could be interesting, I don't know, experimentation along that vein, but then also the idea of hypnosis. You can hypnotize the agent. And so how could that work? I haven't experimented with it yet to any major effect, but my understanding of this concept is you either use super prompts, which are thousand, two thousand, three thousand words, super long winding kind of prose that can kind of set the frame and context of the output, right? So you can do that, or you can feed it the same prompt repeatedly with slight variations in each subsequent prompt. You are getting very sleepy. <laughs> you feel your eyelids drooping. You feel, but imagine if you led that way close, like you were inching toward the kind of output that you wanted to have. Yeah. So I don't know. Those are two interesting ones. I've done something with not like the super prompts, but this is probably a whole different topic, but there's a separate AI art tool called mid journey and you can feed like documentation from like a lot of these tools. And this isn't you crafting your own two, 3000 word prompt. You literally just take documentation from another tool and you say, here is the entire resource library for XYZ tool. Spit it in here. Say, I understand it if you do. And then you just keep feeding it, feeding it, feeding it. And then you have a five to six like long thread of just like thousands of words of this tool. And then all of a sudden at the end, it's like, okay, I am now a master on mid journey or this tool. And this is how the prompt should look. And then you can feed it and it gets so many different outputs, which is again, like you can take all this knowledge and external libraries, feed it to the tool. And then all of a sudden GPT is now mid journey GPT because it's able to understand this external library. Yeah. Which will create so many interesting possibilities into the future of AIs interacting with each other or us you like using GPT to uh, optimize a prompt that will feed into mid journey or getting an output that is actually in a code format of some artistic thing that you can feed into creative suite or something like there's many different possible applications. Wow. I wonder what else should we talk about? Cause we're hitting on skills. We kind of hit about the implications for marketing specifically. We need to see how SERPs are evolving and so on. But I think it's undeniable that the marketer, the AI driven marketer that's using these tools and pushing creative boundaries. I think like going beyond just the obvious use cases of, I need to write some copies. So I'm going to use this to write the copy and Mm -hmm. or write the blog post outline or write the ad Facebook ad or whatever. That's all the obvious stuff. I think the fun and the the art almost is like, how are you creative with this tool? Yeah, I can go. I mean, this is related to like my daily work. I've given it like all the tasks that I do in the day. And I'm like, how can I automate like pieces of my workflow? And this is where I'm kind of currently going with Google ad scripts. I've got like tasks that I do on a weekly or daily basis where I'm trying to build out like scripts or codes to not do it all entirely for me because it's not quite there yet. But like, how do I get it 80% of the way there? So like, instead of hiring like a dev or somebody to do this for me, I'm able to use GPT as a coder to help me write these scripts for me in Google ads to help optimize like pieces of my workflow. So I think that's been pretty cool and what I'm continuing to work on from my standpoint. Yeah, that's really interesting. I haven't gone down that path yet, but I kind of want to. 
I want to see like, how can it make me more efficient? Yeah. Like a cool feedback loop has been like, what tasks can I automate if I'm a general PPC or, or you can give it like a bunch of like tasks that you do on a daily basis. And then it can give you like basic ideas. You have to help guide it, but it's been interesting to move that forward. I almost want to ask it, how can I leverage you as a tool, Mr. AI, to help me be better at what do you know that you can do that I don't know that you can do? Right. To see what kind of response it would provide. Like, how are other people using AI tools to improve their SEO campaigns? Yeah. I haven't asked that question. I think I might in a few minutes here. But you demonstrated. That could be cool. Yeah. Well, that could be really cool. And I think, Blake, you just demonstrated something critical is like an awareness of cognitive bias and your awareness of yourself as the actor with the agent, if that makes sense. So like the way you just frame that whole thing is like at a meta level. How could one who had these interests and goals achieve this outcome using what I don't know that I don't know. You know what I mean? And that, I think if you apply mental models to your use of AI, it can help you immensely. Yeah. Because, right, 80-20, inversion. For me, simulation is still one of my number one use cases. Simulating, I don't know if I talked about in the first episode, the simulated board meeting idea. Yeah, that one. But even for matters of strategy, like, Blake, take your earlier example of planning family vacation, where we're using AI to help us evaluate among options, right, or consideration set. Not just do that, but feed in some, like, season it with some data, some scenarios, and then say, Help me evaluate the pros and cons of running this kind of campaign versus this kind. What are the probable outcomes of this? What should I be aware of? What may I not be considering? Oh, if I took this other discipline, what would someone who was trained in this area have to say about this problem? So running simulation, that's one of my favorite things to do. Yeah, I haven't gone down that path either, honestly. I think I need to... You guys are broaden your horizons. Yeah, seriously. Geez. One thing I wanted to just call out that I think is really interesting. This is really very SEO focused, but now that AI is connected to the web, you can like do SERP analysis directly through BARD. Right. And I know OpenAI is recently connected to the web and I haven't used it there, but you can ask BARD to evaluate a search engine result page. Say, what is the like consensus search intent? Are there overlapping themes on this? For this keyword SERP and this keyword SERP, and you can get like kind of detailed and it'll tell you like, hey, yeah, this is what I'm seeing. I'm seeing a transactional intent. These are the common brands that I'm seeing on both SERPs. Like it'll say there's six brands that overlap on this SERP and this SERP. And here's a list of them. And here's the search intent. And you can get really granular. And I mean, you can do that manually or you can do it in 15 seconds with BARD, but it's as like an idea for someone who's listening to this digital marketing, that's something that can be really, really valuable because you can get a really granular view of what types of content rank for a specific keyword. Is there overlap? So can you target multiple keywords with a single page? Because if there's a lot of overlap, generally speaking, that means one page can satisfy both keywords or like that user need. And it's just a neat little tool that I've only recently been experimenting with. That's cool. Wow. Well, I don't know, guys, looking at the clock, we should probably start to wind down to make it pseudo actionable or just a good takeaway. Based on our conversation today, where you've seen this evolve and where you think it's going, what are your next actions? What are the things that you guys are excited to try next that this conversation led you to, or just in general, like what's some of the area of opportunity using these tools and what are you going to do in the next week or few weeks coming out of this? Because change is happening very rapidly. Yeah. I mean, I would say for all the listeners, if you haven't embraced like AI, like do it. Like it's moving so fast, you're going to fall behind if you aren't using it in some capacity. But as for myself, 
now that I have access to GPT and web, that's what I think I'm going to be spending most of my weekend doing. I'm not entirely sure what that's going to revolve around, but now that I have like data sets that are like real time, I want to get like a better understanding of how that works and then how I can implement that into like personal life, like work life. Like what can I actually do with it? Because now you've got like this new like tool in the toolbox, so to speak, where that I can kind of test and play with. So I'm going to mess around with that to see what some possibilities are now that I have access to that. So that's exciting on my side. I haven't used AI at all for my personal life. And I think I need to try that out. Like I have questions, right? Like I just, I'm like, I don't know. And I think things through internally all the time and I'm just kind of pondering. But what if I had a little AI companion to... It's the best Valorant strategy. (laughs) Right, yeah. (laughs) Or I don't know, financial planning or something. Like I'm just curious, you know what I mean? Like the possibilities are truly limitless and I've been using it mostly as a digital marketer, but I think I need to branch that out and start thinking about how I can use it as just like a dad or a husband or, you know what I mean? Whatever it is and see if I can improve my life just generally speaking. (laughs) So that's how I think I need it. That's next steps for me. That's cool. Yeah. I'm very curious to watch the web access unfold with GPT-4. I love what you said, Ray. I've been using it in broad context and in creative context. I want to look at it from a, where's the low-hanging fruit for optimization? Can I automate tasks? Can I use scripts? Can I use it to help me gather, transform data to get higher quality insights about what's happening in my life? Am I moving toward my goals or away from them? That's probably my number one. But then also, I just need to follow through on lots of the great threads. There are dozens, but you know, three or four in particular stand out where I seasoned it, engineered it got it really far along and have an idea that's pretty well crystallized and now I need to take it and just execute on that idea. So I've got several of those in the hopper that I'm really excited to work on and then see what happens after I release them into the wild. Yeah, I think Ben's going to be the future published author, New York Times (laughs) bestseller. (laughs) Probably next week with how quick GBD can write. Right, it's very fast. (laughs) All right, guys. Well, awesome discussion and let's keep it going on the Profit Squad. So thanks for listening. Thank you so much for listening. Your support means the world to us and allows us to help more people and grow the community. Please take a minute right now to subscribe and share this wherever you listen to podcasts and sign up for the Profit Squad at joinprofitsquad.com. This will get you insider access, additional tools and swipe files, and help you elevate your marketing game to the next level. 